Hello, welcome to a new episode of Pseudo Bravado. I'm your host, Selena, and uh, as of recording, it is currently January 1st, 2020, so this is the very first episode of a new decade. How exciting! I woke up at 1pm today, uh, not because I was out late last night celebrating the New Year countdown, but more because I just, I was binge-watching some shows um, and movies and also stressing about going back to school for the new semester because I'm trying to switch out of this philosophy elective because I realize that uh, I don't think I actually want to take the course because it might make me hate philosophy and I and I just don't want to do that so I'm trying to find a good balance between a course that is not going to kill me in terms of my GPA, but is also interesting, not completely dry, and won't require a lot of additional effort because I already have some pretty heavy science courses. So these are all the different considerations that I have to make. Um, and sometimes you don't always arrive at the perfect solution and it's just a series of compromises and that thought makes me kind of sad. Um, you know the saying where you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain? That is kind of how I feel about the way I've been approaching my post-secondary education and trying to pick the easier electives even if they are kind of boring but for the sake of my own mental health and not wanting to overwhelm myself and try to end off third year on a good note um sometimes you just have to make that call and say i'm going to take this really boring class that has nothing to do with my degree or any of my extracurricular interests just because i need those credits and i don't want to put myself through arbitrary stress does that make sense yeah um what else happened today Oh, I guess I kind of had like this epiphany for breakfast. Um, I was just thinking about how I I finally reached that point where I'm ready to graduate emotionally. I'm not ready for it uh, financially or even academically. I still have courses I need to do and I think that I can still grow in a lot of different ways in, in school and there's so much to learn still and there will always be a lot of things to learn. But... I just emotionally feel ready to stop taking classes and doing midterms and exams and assignments and get on to real life work and something that I feel would give myself more uh, a sense of direction or purpose because at this point I feel like it's kind of lacking and that is why I'm really excited because in 2020 I am hopefully going to uh, get some kind of internship or um, a co-op job, whatever terminology you use, uh, so that way I can take a year off school and work in the actual field of interest and meet new people, grow in ways that would not be possible if I was just stuck in a lecture hall and looking at lecture slides. So that's really exciting, 
but also equally daunting, obviously. Um, I'm sure that that whole adventure will be its own series of podcast episodes as I try to navigate um, a completely different environment. Um, also, there's like some stuff with my family going on where we might be traveling in May, but I'm feeling like I'm being pulled in so many different directions. Uh, I recently renewed my my first aid, uh, what do you call it, your first aid certificate, and uh, one of the things that piqued my interest coming out of that course was, you know, possibly volunteering for um, like a crisis response helpline, I think, uh, and that requires a lot of training, and it's uh, volunteer work kind of thing. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to fit that into my schedule somehow in 2020. Uh, so there's all these different things that I'm super excited about, but there's a lot of uncertainty. And I guess that kind of is something I want to talk a little bit about because uh, I was kind of feeling, not going to lie, a little bit stressed the last 48 hours just thinking about what my 2020 is going to look like and how there's still so many plans that are up in the air that I don't know how it's going to turn out and I can ready start to anticipate the disappointment of if certain things that I'm really, really excited for don't work out as life sometimes works out that way. Um, and then I was also going through my my phone because I was watching a movie and I was just absentmindedly going through my camera roll and deleting old photos and screenshots that I don't need anymore. And I came across this screenshot from um, uh, Claire Marshall's Instagram story that I took probably oh last year so it was last July when I took the screenshot sometimes I just like find interesting excerpts from books that people are reading and I'll add it to my reading list or um, passages that really resonate with me and it was kind of just funny how coincidentally I I kind of bumped into this passage and I reread it and it, it kind of sums up or it's a good affirmation for what I'm going through right now internally and maybe for some of you guys who are also dealing with a lot of uncertainty about your future. Um, this passage is from the book, You're Wrong About Everything, and in brackets, but so am I. And it says, certainty is the enemy of growth. Nothing is for certain until it has already happened. And even then, it's still debatable. That's why accepting the inevitable imperfections of our values is necessary for any growth to take place. Instead of striving for certainty, we should be in constant search of doubt. Doubt about our own beliefs, doubt about our own feelings, doubt about what the future may hold for us unless we get out there and create it for ourselves. Instead of looking to be right all the time, we should be looking for how we're wrong all the time. Because we are. Being wrong opens us up to the possibility of change. Being wrong brings the opportunity for growth. And I think that's a really um, meaningful kind of passage to kind of take me into 2020. I think that could... The, I'm going to predict that could be a very Im important lesson that I will have to learn throughout 2020. So that's just a little piece of wisdom or whatever you want to call that. Um, what else is there to catch up on? Oh, I got to uh, hang out with a friend that I haven't seen since I think May or June. And I, I don't really see this friend very often. We went to the same elementary school and then she went to a different high school uh, we still kept in touch and then she moved um, out of town for university 
and so it became even harder because she would have to fly like fly back here once a year or once every six months to see her family and it'd be kind of hard to like schedule uh, meetings with each other but we got to hang out we went to go see a movie and it was really nice catching up with her and um it's crazy because I to see how how much we've grown up since becoming friends initially in grade seven and every year there's always so much more to talk about about our lives and our future and yeah being 28th is just kind of realizing like wow I I have so much more growing up to do but also to see how far you've come from when you were say 12 or 13 um so that kind of just made me feel very sentimental because I'm a sentimental person um don't know where I was going with that honestly oh but aside from all of that uh today's episode is going to be a belated uh roundup of all of my favorite things from 2019 so as much as there is great uncertainty about the future and the new year there is at least some level of uh definitive confidence about what I loved about 2019 that I wanted to share. Originally, I was going to talk about it in the episode with my sister, but that episode ended up being quite long on its own. So instead, I thought I would dedicate this whole podcast uh, talking about my favorite books, movies, TV shows, YouTube series, um, podcasts, music. Did I say music already? Um, I have a whole list in front of me on my laptop. So I guess I'll go through and talk a little bit about it. I don't know how to do these favorites. Uh, so let's start off with, what should, I, what should I start off with? Let's do movies, because I'm not a big, well, I used to say I'm a, more of a movie person than I am a TV series, but as of this Christmas break, I've been really enjoying watching TV shows more. Uh, I don't know if it's just because the website where I watch movie, movies on just doesn't have, um, it's not updating enough and giving me good recommendations. So I, I haven't really found a lot of movies that I have loved. Um, but I'm really looking forward to watching Little Women. And that one's in theaters right now, so it's not online. Because your girl does not have the money. That kind of um, expenditure. It, what is it? What's the word? I don't have disposable income to just go to the theater and watch as many movies as I'd like. Um so instead, I just have to wait patiently for it to come out online. But I'm really excited to watch Little Woman. It looks really great. The reviews are good. And, you know, I love a good Saoirse Ronan, Greta Gerwig, Timothy Chalamet trio. So there's that. Um, one of my favorite movies of the year was Booksmart. Uh, I think everyone's probably heard of it at this point. If Oh, God. I just realized there is no internet on my laptop because... For some reason, I'm having problems trying to connect to my home Wi-Fi, and it's been so spotty, and part of the reason why I'm just like, you know what, I'm just going to record a podcast instead because I, I, I can't even use the internet to binge watch any shows at the moment, but uh, Booksmart is basically, it stars, well, let me try to get their names right, uh, Beanie Feldstein, who's uh, Jonah Hill's younger sister, and, you know, a very talented actress who you may know from... Uh, playing the best friend in Ladybird. Uh, then there's also Caitlin Deaver, I think. Yeah, so they're the two protagonists in this story. 
and it's about I don't know if I should really summarize it because you could probably just look at IMDb or you've probably seen the movie it's been talked about a lot it was directed by Olivia Wilde who uh previously was mainly an actress but now she's kind of moved on to directing and she did a fantastic job and uh, I really love the humor in this movie and it's just a very fun um and feel good type of film about friendship and uh, I also like how there was uh who's the actress Diana Silvers oh I love Diana Silvers um she I wish I could be friends with her you know I think that's one of the things I love about a good movie is like if the characters are just so uh lovable that you just want to become friends with them and I would want to be friends with Diana Silvers maybe not her character in the movie but just her as an actress uh she is into film photography uh which I'm very into as well and uh she's into music and she seems to be this like free-spirited creative person that I would love to hang out with sometime but anyways that's besides the point um Booksmart great movie uh it's about seniors in high school who are about to graduate and these two girls who are who were never really part of the social scene realize that all the other people who they considered slackers or didn't work as hard in high school got into the same competitive universities as they did and so they kind of feel um like a little bit of resentment towards that fact and so then they have this like one wild night out before graduation um and a lot of things happen and it's it's a fun movie so yeah uh next one is actually an old movie i i think one of my guilty pleasures is gonna have to be just rom-coms i can't help it um i hate horror movies i don't like crazy suspense thrillers I just get scared too easily so um I usually stick to either a good drama or a coming-of-age film or a comedy or an action comedy or some variant of that or a rom-com something like that so um for a rom-com we have When Harry Met Sally I don't remember the year this came out but this is Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal I think it's probably 20 years ago something like that and and the thing I love about this movie is that it isn't it doesn't really follow the overused tropes of other rom-coms because the two characters you can't quite pinpoint um they don't really fit into your standard mold of the different uh types of rom-com dynamics between the male and the female character because yes they sort of hate each other in the beginning but it's also not that they can't stand each other completely it's just that they see they have different perspectives and they kind of just agree to disagree and they ultimately still are able to maintain a friendship and a genuine friendship not a fake like oh I think I might have feelings for you type of friendship um and and they're kind of mature about it in that way and and a lot of their friends around them are like, you know, you guys are really meant for each other. Like, you guys are such good friends. How is it that you're not dating each other? And they both, you know, kind of insist, like, oh, we're just friends. And and it never really... And it feels genuine when they say it. Or maybe I'm just naive and I don't read it properly. But, uh, I mean, I know it's there. Deep down, they're meant to be for each other in a romantic way. But, you know, for the, I think, the 10 years that they were 
seeing other people and just maintaining their friendship in New York, it felt like a real solid foundation that they were building. And I respect that because obviously in a lot of other movies, um, you don't really see that time progress and everything's quite fast paced, the way people develop feelings, etc, etc. They didn't have your love at first sight kind of moment and it was more of just like, oh, you're there, okay, I'm going to give you a ride to New York, I guess. And um, gradually they kind of develop feelings and... So I quite like that. I don't know. Um, And it also kind of shows one of the important things I feel when it comes to relationships is how timing is everything because, you know, they'd they'd known each other since she was just out of college. But, um, and even though that he would consider her to be an attractive person, the timing wasn't quite right. Um, And they made sure that, you know, they were both older and in different places in their life. And when they realized, like, this is really the person I want to spend the rest of my life with, as they say, um, then they would actually end up together. And so, yeah, When Harry Met Sally is a great classic. I can't believe it took me that long to finally watch it, but it's a good one. And uh, I guess a more modern take on uh, friends first and then later lovers is Plus One. It's a film with, uh, what's his name? Is it Jack Quaid? Or it's Dennis Quaid's son. Oh my god, that's actually hilarious. I just realized the connection because this is Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid's son. And Meg Ryan was in When Harry Met Sally. And now Meg Ryan's real life son is in Plus One playing the male character. And he's not your standard uh, male protagonist or in that he's not super suave and charming. He's just kind of awkward and... Uh, they kind of show this relationship going from being friends to something more in a very honest way that is is kind of imperfect and it's complex and it's kind of confusing and I think that you know I can only say so much because I've never been in a relationship but from an outsider perspective I feel like it's it doesn't um, romanticize things that are in real life, probably quite awkward and not romantic um, in all those like uncomfortable conversations or like the dynamics of, I think, what was it? Um, yeah, when they ended up together, the, the male protagonist and the girl, they ended up together and then they realized like, oh shit, what do we do to our friendship? Like, it's either our friendship or we're going down this path and um, I don't, I haven't watched the movie in a while, so I don't even remember exactly how their reactions went, but I just remember overall the, the narrative, um, felt real. Like, it felt like something that would actually happen to a real-life 21st century couple. So, yeah, I think that one is kind of an underrated rom-com. You should all check it out. They're not, like, A-list actors or whatever, so I think that kind of makes it feel a little bit more real. And next we have, oh, and if you're in search for another rom-com, I didn't, I don't think I watched this in 2019, I probably watched it at the end of 2018, but Destination Wedding with Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder, that one is amazing. Um, I love the dialogue, it's super, I think one of the critiques about it was like the dialogue was kind of just heavy and, and um, really long, but I personally really liked it, um, I thought it was kind of witty, it's definitely not realistic, I don't think two people really would have that type of dialogue with each other um but you know one can dream and it it is charming and funny 
And who doesn't love Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder? Like, I'm pretty sure they're married, or they were married at one point. Um, or there was that whole thing, I think, where they accidentally got married. I, I don't know what the actual situation is, but um, great chemistry. Love both actors. And that's a great movie. Um, and then the next movie is The Farewell, which has been getting a lot of um, critical acclaim. I watched it with my friend back in September in theaters and absolutely cried my eyes out. I, I cried probably through 50% of the movie. or There was just so many different moments that I really connected with and kind of saw it being a reflection of my relationship with my culture or the dynamics within my family because... Uh, you know, my parents are Chinese immigrants, and I kind of was raised in two different cultures, the Western culture as well as, um, you know, the time that I would spend back in China with my family and kind of feeling like a bit of an outsider, even though I was related to all these people and I looked like them. And also dealing with death in a family is, is something pretty heavy and... Um, I think the part that I can distinctly remember as just absolutely making me bawl like a baby was the scene of the wedding when, is it the uncle? Yeah, so it's like Aquafina's character, I forgot her name, uh, but Aquafina's character's uncle is on the stage and he gets very emotional and he basically just says, you know, I just want to thank my mom or the grandma who is basically dying from cancer essentially. And uh, he couldn't really, like, hold his emotion together. And I think that just, there's so much humanity in that moment because I think that uh, a lot of times people in the Chinese culture, especially men, are taught to be quite stoic and repress any emotions. And I feel like uh, the love language for a lot of uh, Asians is in general just acts of service and it's hard to give words of affirmation and to be so vulnerable and direct with one's expression of love and seeing him up there kind of just breaking down and not being able to contain it I just did the same thing basically because I think it's, it's sometimes hard for us to acknowledge um, how much someone in our family means to us in words and that kind of reminded me of when my um, grandfather and my grandmother passed away from different sides of my family and uh, not being able to see some of them for the last time like that's pretty hard and um, I think the uncle honestly just was one of my favorite characters because he had a lot of things to say that really resonated with me um, especially when he was kind of giving that monologue to Aquafina's character about how the difference between Western and Eastern culture, um, one being very uh, individualist and the other one being more of a, a collectivism and how uh, family oriented the Asian culture is and how you have to, you're kind of just expected to make these sacrifices because you live as part of a greater whole. And I think, um, yeah, that was something really important that they showed and sometimes I definitely feel that tension or that, that conflict within myself uh, of like, you know, living a life that is honorable to my family 
and will, I guess, make them proud and also take care of them. But then also feeling the need that I'm an individual and I do have my own needs and my own passions. And how do I balance both of these two worlds? I think that is kind of the toughest uh, and very unique um, perspective that you will have if you are the child of immigrants and you're kind of being brought up in these two different um, contrastive worlds of values. So yeah, the farewell is, I mean, there's also just some very endearing moments about um, the grandmother and how she kind of shows her affection towards, um, oh, I keep, I just don't know her name. I should really look it up. Like I don't have Wi-Fi, so I can't look it up. But yeah, there was just, when you get older, um, you kind of stop being as strict with children and just seeing how loving she is towards Aquafina's character was very sweet and kind of reminded me of my relationship with my grandparents. Uh, so yeah, it's a very emotional movie and very sentimental to me. Um, and yeah, very well written. And so those are basically all the movies I can think of from 2019. So there really weren't a lot. Um, we have like, you know, a few rom-coms, a drama with, with a comedic element to it. And also just another coming of age kind of um, comedy. Booksmart. Yeah, I guess that's a comedy, right? So those are my favorite movies. And now moving on to TV shows. Let me just check the time. Okay. Um, moving on to TV shows. I have watched two full series of TV um, since Christmas break started, which I know for some people is probably not even a lot because I know people probably binge even more shows than that, but for me this is quite a lot. I'm not usually a TV person because it's such a time commitment for me because you're basically watching like 8 to 10 if not more hours of content when I can just watch a story from beginning to end in two hours. It just seems more efficient. but. Um, you know, watching a TV show and seeing how they build the story uh, is really a lot of fun. Uh, previous TV shows that I've really enjoyed include The Good Place and uh, Suits. I was really into that, but I kind of stopped watching Suits after. I feel like um, I share the sentiment with a lot of people where I just feel like the series just wasn't the same after, you know, some of the characters left or the writing went on. Um, but I mean, if you want to see a really good pilot episode for a TV series, watch Suits. The Suits pilot is amazing. Um, but yeah, so for this year, I watched The Witcher, uh, which is starring Henry Cavill and Anya. I, I don't know her last name and I don't want to butcher it either, but it starts with a C. So, uh, it's a show based off of... I think books originally that were also video games or video games that became books. No, I want to say it was books originally that then also became the video game and now it is a series with Netflix. Um, it's a fantasy kind of story about a monster hunter and I haven't read the books or played the video game so I'm sure there's a lot more to the backstory that I'm not aware of so I just watch it from the show. I will say it's kind of confusing to understand what is going on. The timeline is super messy and you don't really uh, understand how everything fits and like what happened when until the very last episode because I think the entire first season is basically just setting the backstory for what's going on 
and what's going to happen in the second season. Um, I really love Yennefer's character. I think, um, yeah, I think in general, all characters are really well developed and being able to dedicate that full first season to their backstory is, is really helpful. Um, and I guess that's kind of one of the pros to TV series that you wouldn't get if this was, say, a movie. Uh, so I'm excited to see where that goes. I don't know what other commentary I have on the show. It's, it's a good series. Uh, gets kind of confusing for me to understand. I, sometimes I don't really know what's going on in the dialogue. Um, but, yeah, I love the action. That I, I don't even know. Um, I, I watched it. I don't even, to be honest, now that I'm thinking of it, I don't know if it's like my favorite series but I watched all of it, and maybe it was just because I wanted to see more of Henry Cavill. Who knows, but that was that. Um, another show that I watched, that this one I for sure I, I absolutely loved. It was had me on the edge of my seat. It was The Morning Show, which has Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, Billy Crudup. Um, is it Martin Duplass or Mark Duplass? And um, some other actors. So some pretty oh Steve Carell how could I forget Steve Carell, uh so pretty big actors I heard it's like a fifteen million dollar per episode budget mainly because of the um the salary or the uh charge for each of the A list actors per episode is pretty steep, um but the dialogue for this is amazing I think I'm just a sucker for dialogue that seems to be the recurring theme I keep bringing up dialogue 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 so I love the way that they portray each character with everyone kind of has a very complicated background and motivation and and you you never can fully hate a character and that's what I found um, is a good sign of good character development and writing is um, you know at first I you know in the first part of the series, I just didn't like uh, Jennifer Aniston's character or uh, Alex Levy. I just felt like she was just this intolerable person who was being such a bully to uh, Bradley Jackson or Reese Witherspoon's character. But then, you know, uh, as the season grows, you can kind of see how her character uh, develops and what kind of... Um, I don't want to spoil too much of the series. I think you should definitely go and watch it yourself. But she she's like ballsy. She she's fierce and there's something that I have to just respect about her her work ethic and her ability to kind of have her own back. Um sometimes it doesn't always work out the way she wanted to because she can be a little bit too hot-headed and selfish. Um but Overall, you know, I think by the end of the series, you really see that at her core, she she does have good values in mind. And um, I also find Corey Ellison's character, played by Billy Crudup, super, super interesting. I was, you know, a little bit wary of him for most of the series, but um, I feel like ultimately he also, I don't know, I can't say that he's like a good person. But he's very, very entertaining to watch, and he tends to have Bradley's back, and I like Bradley because, you know, she seems out of all of them to be the least, uh, complicated, not, 
I don't think that's the right word to say, but she's the least two-faced or no. She's she's described as like the truth seeker and um she has a lot of this childhood emotional baggage that she kind of brings with her into every scenario and sometimes that makes her act impulsively or act in ways that are not uh what's the word just not compatible with the corporate atmosphere or the corporate um environment that she's been placed in uh so she's kind of very out of place and, and there's like immense amount of conflict between her personal character and the situation that she finds herself in uh but i think at the end of the day she also has really good values and i'm rooting for her and i hope she she just doesn't i guess live long enough to see herself become the villain because that would be really sad because then all these characters are basically just um i don't know then i just feel like she's she's like the moral compass of the show in a way and I would hate to see that change. But who knows? Um, season 2, I'm sure they've already been renewed for sure. And I'm sure it's going to be a great uh, storyline. Or There's definitely just like a lot more answers we want. Um, what are the repercussions because of that bombshell uh, reveal at the end of the season? Or not reveal, but to the public it was a big reveal. Because there's definitely going to be a lot of fallout from that in terms of um, publicity and marketing and all that stuff. So I'm excited to see how that goes. Um, next, I also have... Um, this is a series on YouTube that I just recently started watching over the break called... It's not... Oh, it's a channel. So it's called Korean Englishman. I'm sure a lot of people already know of this channel. They have a pretty big following. And I only recently got into it. And uh, I don't know. There's not really much else to say. Go check it out. They make... Uh, there are these two guys mainly. I think Ollie and Josh. Who are from London. And they... I think Josh studied abroad in Korea. So he speaks like fluent Korean. And the most recent series that they're putting up at the moment uh, is about letting Ollie loose in Korea as a foreigner and with very limited amount of Korean and trying to navigate the transport and getting from place, one place to the next and also ordering food in Korean and kind of being thrown in the deep end and being immersed in the culture and um it's a lot of fun it's kind of like this variety show or game show style almost and what else is there to say about that show um, I also love all the different food that they kind of introduced me to. It's definitely piqued my interest in Korean cuisine, because before I was kind of indifferent towards it, but now I'm fascinated and I, I want to eat more Korean food. As a result, I realize that food is just such a, an important part of one's culture and a great way to kind of introduce um, someone to a new culture. So, yeah. Green Englishman, a great channel with really fun, interesting content that isn't just your standard clickbait that seems to be so pervasive on YouTube these days, which is one of the reasons why like, I don't really watch as much YouTube as I used to. Um, but that's probably also good in that I save time. I'm more selective about the content that I'll consume on YouTube. Uh, next, uh, must watch that I always will click on if it's in my subscription feed is Patriot Act with Hassan Minaj. 
Uh, it's available on Netflix, but he posts all the episodes on YouTube. You just have to wait a little bit, I think. Um, great sense of humor. He covers relevant topics in great depth. Uh, shout out to the digital media team or the people that do the graphics. I think it's like the graphics team. They have some great visuals. It's, yeah, it's it's a great show. He he does a segment called Deep Cuts where he answers audience questions and it's always a lot of fun seeing how he kind of uh, interacts with them and sometimes he brings like special guests on to answer some questions. Like I think the most recent one, he, he had John Mulaney. Is that how you pronounce it? John Mulaney on. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. And so those are all the YouTube series or things on the internet that I watch. And as for podcasts, I have a couple as well. Uh, the first one is the one that kind of introduced me to the world of podcasts, and it is Armchair Expert with Zach Shepard, which I'm sure if you listen to podcasts, you already know of it or are avid listener. Uh, he basically just has a lot of different celebrities or sometimes neuroscientists or even politicians. He'll, they'll come on and he'll do these super long interviews with them. So it's a great uh, way to just pretend like you're a fly on the wall listening to a conversation between these powerful, rich people, I guess. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, it is a lot of fun listening to those. What else do we have? Oh my god, I feel like my attention span is kind of shortening as we speak. Um, okay, besides that, I also love Willem Verbeek's C41 podcast. I follow him on Instagram. He is a very talented photographer based in New York. He shoots a lot of film, um, mainly 120, I believe, from some medium format. And he... What else? How would... How would I describe his style? It's kind of hard to describe his style of photography. I think it's very simple. It's very, um, it's not like heavily edited or anything. And he shoots a lot of, a lot of his uh, subjects include suburban scapes. So he'll shoot into people's backyards or people's cars or garages, or he goes to Coney Island a lot and he shoots around there. So he shoots a lot of like street photography as well. Uh, he's got a YouTube channel that he started this year, I believe, and um, really great content on that. And then on his podcast, he interviews fellow creatives and photographers, and they kind of discuss how they got into photography, uh, what their favorite, um, who their favorite photographers are, uh, what kind of inspires them, what's their approach and their principles, and it's very insightful if you are someone who is interested in photography or um, or just a conversation between two creatives, I think. It's, yeah, it's nice to kind of have that dose in my life because at school I'm surrounded by people within the science field and their way of thinking is definitely very different as a very different kind of flow to uh, the conversations that we have if you're someone in the creative industry. Uh, so it's kind of nice to see both worlds. And another podcast I've been listening to is the ABG podcast or Asian Boss Girl. And it's, there's three different hosts, uh, Helen, uh, Mel, and, oh my god, I forgot her name. I don't remember her name, but I love her. Uh, she's the one with like the super calming voice. 
but oh I don't remember her name Asia no uh Mel Helen I, I don't know I want to say it's Audrey but it's not Audrey but her name could be an Audrey uh they have a really great podcast where that kind of inspired me to also do a podcast because seeing how they most of them are are essentially uh I guess the term is like what is it called a a yappy is that the word a young asian professional or something like that so helen uh has been working in finance for a long time and the other girl who i don't remember her name right now uh she does web development or user experience design i think and mel uh worked for wong fu i think as like a production assistant so they kind of have you know all these different careers and it's kind of cool to see them have a conversation about their upbringing and it's something that I really relate to being a child of immigrants like I said and uh yeah they have really good girl talk kind of conversations that I like to listen to and last but not least we also have a recent a relatively new podcast uh good for you with Whitney Cummings um, she doesn't have a lot of episodes up yet, but I do, she, she's a comedian turned podcaster now, and she has, uh, great interviews, uh, I feel like her, she's got good charisma, I mean, it does, definitely helps that she is a comedian, so she just has that natural sense of humor and charm, and makes for good conversation, uh, the most recent episode I was watching was with Ronan Farrow, who uh, wrote the book uh, Catch and Kill, which basically talks about the entire uh, Me Too movement and all the everything that kind of led to the news breaking in main overall mainstream media. Uh, it's crazy to hear his his stories. I haven't read the book, but I've watched a lot of videos of his interviews of him talking about his experience in, and all the work that went into writing the book, and it kind of uh, coincides with uh, the content in the morning show t uh, series on Apple TV that I mentioned as being one of my favorite shows of 2019. Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy some of the stuff that went on, the corruption, the power structure um and yeah so they have a really great conversation about that on her podcast um and i think that's it those are all my favorite podcasts from 2019 and now let's talk about some books uh i don't have that many books i've been reading this year uh i've bought a few books quite a few books actually uh, i bought like some more street photography books. I'm trying to start a collection of photo books. Uh, I actually finished designing my first photo zine that I'm supposed to get a proof copy of in the mail in two days. So I'm gonna be, it's gonna be like Christmas all over again. I can't wait to open up the package. Hopefully it turns out okay because it would be a bummer if it did not. Um, I, I proofed it with my sister as well because she's in media studies so she kind of knows uh, what she's doing better than I do and she helped me design the cover which is awesome so I'm really excited for that and that's kind of why I've been starting to collect more photo books and what else um 
I bought I bought a, a collection of poetry for Christmas for myself from chapters. I got the uh, essential. Where is it? I don't even know. Oh, it's upstairs. Um, I got this essential Bukowski collection. Um, I've been meaning to get into his writing for a bit now. Definitely very different from the style of poetry that I'm normally gravitating towards, but I think it's important to have a diverse um, reading selection and to at least kind of expose yourself to different writers and different styles so that it can hopefully inspire me to write something and experiment because I think that's one of the things with my writing is I, I often feel like I just get kind of stale and I'm and I want to try to push the boundaries of my own personal style when it comes to writing so I think reading is a great way you must read to be able to write well at least uh what else oh uh, my absolute favorite book of 2019 which I have next to me as we speak is Too Much and Not the Mood by Durga Chu Bose. It's a collection of short personal essays. Well, they're, not, they're not like super short. How many essays are there? I'm just gonna flip through and see. Uh, she's a Canadian writer, I think uh, raised in Montreal. Um, there's one, two, three, four, there's, okay, there's 14 essays. They're very lyrical, so it, it almost reads kind of like poetry, but just like a super, super long poem. Um, or it has like a prose-like quality, I guess. It's a better, more accurate way of describing it. It's 220 pages long, so 14 essays divided over that many pages. Um, I guess I'll just read the sidebar, or the, the what do you call this? I, I call it a sidebar, but I don't think that's actually the right term for it. But I'll read the description for what this book is about to see if you guys are interested in it. So it says, In Too Much and Not the Mood, Durga Chu Bose brings us into her most intimate philosophical and occasionally brooding thoughts. The result is a lyrical and piercingly insightful collection of essays and her own brand of essay meets prose poetry about identity and culture. Reflective and highly astute, Chu Bose invites readers to join in her search for a clearer understanding of who we are and the world we live in. This is a beautiful and surprising exploration of what it means to be a young first-generation writer today, shutting out the din in order to find her own voice. Exhibiting the confidence of Lena Dunham, the honesty of Shamamanda Ngozi Adichie, and the extraordinary vision of Zadie Smith. Oh my god, Zadie Smith, I know that name. Uh, too Much Not the Mood It's a stunning debut from an author who is sure to become one of this generation's most esteemed voices. So... I recognize the name Zadie Smith because that is one of the names that this poetry professor at my school mentions a lot as being one of his favorite writers. So that's kind of cool how um, one of my favorite books is kind of compared to the extraordinary vision of Zadie Smith. I must look into that author then. But anyways, this is a really great book. It's hard to describe what else is in there. You just kind of have to read it for yourself. There's so many beautifully written paragraphs and that really resonate with me and her her control over language is just astounding, I must say. Um, and it just feels honest. It feels like you're you're really getting to see her most intimate thoughts. And yeah, so she let's see, the author bio, it says, um, 
Durga Chu Moses writing has been published online at Hazlitt, GQ, BuzzFeed, Grantland, and Guardian, and in print in Globe and Mail, Film Comment, and Canadian Art. Chu Bo recently returned to her hometown of Montreal after living in Brooklyn for several years. So, she's been between New York and, and Montreal. So that's a great book. Highly recommend. Um, the other book that I recommend is, um, I mean, I'm sure lots of people have probably have this in their collection if you're into poetry. I think this is kind of an essential. It's um, Mary Oliver, the collection called Devotions. Um, I believe this is like, this might have been her last collection that was released following her passing or right before her passing. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a collection that draws from uh, multiple previous books of hers into this one kind of final collection of poetry from all her different eras of writing so uh yeah i feel like my voice is changing literally as we speak because i've just been talking non-stop for like 45 50 minutes to myself it's kind of crazy okay uh i really like her poetry style i think it feels intuitive the way she writes it's simple but also artistic. It is lyrical, which is a word I like to use to describe a lot of things that I like. Uh, very, uh, I don't know, how, how else do I describe it? Uh, a lot of nature metaphors. Uh, yeah, and very visual. At least when I read it, I always get a very visual impression. I always just imagine things in my head when I'm reading her poems. Um, so she draws on a lot of more concrete uh, language rather than abstractions, I would say. Uh, I'm not going to say too much about it because I'm sure you guys know who she is. Um, I wish I had a list of my favorite poems from her. I, I know one that comes to mind is the one on meditation. That one's a great one. Um, I'm not well-versed enough in poetry to be able to just call off titles of my favorite poems from certain ar authors' archives, but hopefully I'll get there someday, but yeah, well worth the read. And the thing about poetry that I love is you can kind of just read it at a, at a slow pace. You don't have to worry about finishing it within a reasonable time frame because it's not, say, a fiction novel where you have to remember who the characters are or what happened in the plot to continue to read it. You can just basically flip to any random page on a given day and read a poem and it, it can leave you with something special, which is what I love. Uh, and what else? Okay, and then I put in my notes uh, some favorite apps. If you're an app person and you want to see some good recommendations, some productivity tools, that I've been into, or just fun, interesting technology. Um, for mental health, I recommend Headspace and the Breathe app. There's also something called the Insight Timer, which I haven't used very much, but the Breathe app, what I love about it is that if you are looking for an alternative to Headspace, because everyone recommends Headspace, and I use it a lot too, um, I only use the free version, so there's kind of limited uh, options or accessibility. But with the Breathe app, it's really great because you can do a check-in every single day and they'll recommend you a different meditation depending on your needs of that day. Whereas for Headspace, I feel like 
with the free version of Headspace, at least, you're very limited as to what type of uh, meditation you're going to get. It's kind of generic. Uh, but with breathe, you can talk about how you physically feel. You can put in these adjectives and they'll kind of uh, tailor the meditation to your needs. Uh, what else? Yeah, so like my so far, like my pre-exam ritual has just been to, you know, work out for 20 minutes to get my heart rate up and then meditate. And then I usually go to my exam. That's what I've been doing. And what's another good app? Um, another good app, which also has desktop application, is Notion. It's um, a note-taking app, but also just like a really good personal assistant, in my opinion. Uh, they have a lot of great templates. If you're into taking Cornell notes, uh, if you want like a daily agenda type of setup, uh, if you want um, a budgeting table, they have all these different types of templates that are built in that are great for students, for engineering students people or for marketing people um and it's the interface is beautiful there's definitely some things i would change about it some really simple functional features that i wish they had that they have yet to develop but uh, once they fix those issues i think this could really they have a good base i would say um the approach that they have to organizing notes compared to other options out there i think so Notion, if you are on the market for a new productivity tool, um, organizing your schedule, your all your different lists and stuff, I highly recommend. You can also add like little headers and icons to kind of customize everything and make it look uh, aesthetically more pleasing. And we're coming up on our hour really soon, so I'm going to try to wrap this up as fast as I can. Uh, oh yeah, I guess photo books. I forgot to mention earlier. Oh no, no, no. Let me finish the apps. So another app I've been into is if you want to get into um, mixing music for fun, like DJing your own parties, I don't have a social life, so I don't have a party to DJ, but something that I've been getting into is kind of like mixing music together and pretending like I'm, I'm a DJ. Um, you can get the DJ app on your phone, on your iPad, whatever it is, and it can connect to your Spotify. So you, as long as you have Wi-Fi, you can load any playlist and you can beat match and do all that fun stuff. It even has like the recommended um, songs you can beat match into. So if you ever have the occasion where you're getting, you have a casual get together with your friends and someone's like, hey, can you play some music? And you wanna one up them and be like, yeah, I'll play some music, but I will also DJ and show you all these crazy smooth transitions. You can do that with the DJ app. And this is not a promotion, although I wish it was because I would love to get the premium version of DJ because it allows you to uh, cue your music um, using headphone cueing, uh, but I'm not at that level yet. I don't have one of those, um, what do you call it? Uh, the DJ spin, spin table, spin, yeah, the spin table or something like that. I don't have that equipment yet. I just have my phone and my headphones. Um, I won't talk about that one. Okay. Uh, photo books that I've been into that I'm starting to build into my collection include, uh, Elliot Erwitz. Um, Paris book. It's a pretty small book. It's a, a series of black and white images from Paris that I don't know what years, what, when it was taken, but I believe it was probably like 19, I'm gonna guess like 1950 maybe. I could be totally wrong. It's not like contemporary street photography, so it has a more old school vibe to it. 
And then we also have How New York Break Breaks Your Heart, which I think is by, let me find it. Um, oh, yes. It is by Bill Hayes. So that one is also a great book. Um, and it kind of tells a story as you flip through the pages. So it has a great flow. It has uh, a little bit of interstitial captions here and there. And then you can read it continuously like a storybook. Um, really powerful images. I, yeah, makes me want to go live in New York and, and take some photos of people there. And I'm also going to share uh, some favorite... Hmm. Ooh, Spotify playlist. I think this is kind of underrated because when you find a good playlist, you can do anything. You can clean your entire house and you can study for hours on end. You can sometimes a playlist will really make a big difference when it comes to your productivity or your mood. Uh, some of my favorite ones that I have found on Spotify include Impulso Creativo. I think. Yeah, so Impulso Creativo, that one has more of, like, um, electronic or deep house kind of, I don't know how to describe it, but you should listen to it if you are looking for a playlist to listen to while doing creative work, as the name suggests. Um, it puts me in a good mood. Uh, it, yeah, I, I don't, I'm so bad at describing music, but... That's a good one if you want to surprise. I think it's underrated. And Dancing in Slow Motion by Majestic Casual. They put up some really great mixtapes on YouTube and music in general from uh, some underground... Not, well, some of them are underground artists and some of them are relatively well-known in certain communities, but I've discovered a lot of really great artists through them. Uh, Dancing in Slow Motion is a great playlist. Um, Lo-Fi Cafe I've been using a lot to study to. Uh, Liminal is a playlist by Pastel FR. So if you search that profile up, they have a playlist called Liminal, and I always find really great music from that playlist. Um, Spotify's own playlists include Lorem, L-O-R-E-M, which is kind of similar. If you're into, say, the bedroom pop playlist, um, I think you'll like Lorem. And then we also have Deep House Relax from Spotify. So those are all my favorite playlists. Um, this year that I've been listening to and as for albums and actual music itself I have this whole other list I'm oh my god I'm running out of time um let's see how fast I can get through this because I, I don't want this podcast to be more than an hour long because it's going to stop recording okay uh, heard it in a past life Maggie Rogers every day by tourist late night feelings by Mark Ronson third album by Banks I I by Bonnie Vera uh, Fever Dream by Of Monsters and Men, who I actually got to see perform live, and it was the first concert I went to by myself, and it was amazing. Um, oh, I also saw Maggie Rogers live in concert. She was great. I don't know what else to say about these things. I think you just gotta experience music for yourself. Um, Hypersonic Missiles by Sam Fender, definitely breakout artist of the year for me. Um, didn't really know of him before this year or the past year, I guess now, 2019. Um, so love his music. And Magdalene by FKA Twigs. Bubba, Keitronada, Yearning for the Infinite, Max Cooper. This is super underrated stuff. I discovered his music while I was in... Uh, okay, you know what? I, I think I'm just going to have to 
this is gonna be more than an hour long, okay? Um, I discovered his music in a bookstore, Soda Berlin, which no longer exists, which is so sad because business was not going well and they had to close down that store. But they still have a store in Munich, but the one I visited in Berlin no longer exists, unfortunately. Okay, so we've definitely broken the one hour barrier now. I'm starting a second recording for this episode. Uh, Yearning for the Infinite was the last part I was talking about. Uh, Max Cooper, he is... I don't know where he's from. He's European, that's all I know. And he does um, kind of experimental electronic music. Uh, very... Oh, and he also integrates it with like visual arts. I think his most... the recent album, Yearning for the Infinite, he kind of did some sort of collaboration with an artist and had these like really interesting visual installations to go with the music and I love that. I think that's super cool. I wish I could check it out in person. Um, I think those were the 10 albums I picked. Is it 10? Let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Yeah, so that's 10 albums. Um, but it was really hard to pick those 10 because honestly, I loved a lot of other ones such as Not Waving But Drowning by Loyal Carner. Uh, it's an album you should definitely listen to from front to back without shuffling uh, because one song kind of flows into the other. I also loved... Uh, this year I got into Jungle. Um, they're, a, I think, like a seven-person band. Something like that. They make really... They make music that doesn't feel like it's from 2018 because the album I listened to them forever was released in 2018 but their music feels like it could just be so timeless and it has like this uh i don't know it has this i don't know what decade it would be i, I don't know the music references that well but it yeah i feel like they they combine a lot of different genres together and inspiration from the past to, to make their new music and it gives it this very timeless quality as a result um, another artist I've been loving this year, Assume Form by James Blake, uh, great album. While We Wait by Kalani, dedicated by Carly Rae Jepsen. She makes fantastic pop music. Um, I love the songs Real Love and No Drug Like Me, those are my two favorite off the album. Uh, Igor by Tyler the Creator. I'm not a huge Tyler the Creator fan or stan whatever you want to call it um but this album i think across the board no matter what genre of music you listen to there's probably something you'll like on the album i also love i'm easy to find by the national um the song light years i can listen to on repeat it was on my top 100 songs on spotify for 2019 i learned how to play it on the piano and everything um it's it also comes they also came out with like a visual album for it that stars Alicia Vikander um, and it's in black and white or is it all in black and white or a majority of it is in black and white something like that and it's about this person growing up from being a child into an adult and in, and beyond that um, and it just has this very sentimental feel to it oh, what else future perfect present tense by Ten Fei. if you're into something that feels kind of more, I don't think psychedelic is the right word for it, but more guitar based, um, 
It's not acoustic. Soft rock. I, I don't know what words to use to describe them, uh, but they're great. Uh, Super Melodic Pulp by Astronauts. This is actually an old album. Um, oh, it's and the artist's name is Astronauts, etc. So, yeah, this is from 2012. I was listening to this uh, on repeat while I was in Europe. And to a point where now every single time I listen to one of um, the songs from that album, I just think of walking in Europe. And it's very special to me. So, uh, you know, I think that's one of the most beautiful things about music is how it can become so tied to certain memories and kind of take you back to a place. It's like this beautiful form of escapism. Who doesn't love that? Uh, Father of the Bride by Vampire Weekend. I know that was a pretty big album of 2019. Mirror Master by Young the Giant. That was a 2018 album, but I only got into it in 2019. Sometimes I'm just, I sleep on things until I, it's kind of late. And I missed their album tour and stuff, and so I couldn't get to see it live, unfortunately. But um, the music will live on. And Violet Street by Local Natives. I think they're actually coming to play a show um, in 2020, where I live. Uh, so maybe I'll go see them, but I'm also very, very broke at the moment. So I don't think it would be financially very responsible of me to buy tickets to that show. Uh, what else? Oh, do you remember the person named Grayson Chance? who was this viral sensation. He was like 11 when he was discovered and he went on Ellen and everything. Um, and then he kind of disappeared for a bit and now he's starting to make his own music again, kind of on his own terms. And uh, Portraits, I believe, is like the first album where he's, I think, shifted into this new style of music. Um, and I was quite impressed with it. So if you were looking for new Grace and Chance, listen to Portraits. Uh, Run Fast, Sleep Naked by Chet Faker. Oh, brilliant album i love message me at midnight that's on one of my playlists for like uh writing writing i have like a playlist called writer's block which is like the type of music i listen to if i'm looking for inspiration to write and that's one of the songs on it i also love uh, dangerous uh, from that album taylor swift lover uh i love false god um oh oh my god this was, yeah, this is definitely one of my favorites. Uh, Something Like a War by Kindness. If you're into Blood Orange, I think you'll like Kindness as well because I think they've collaborated in the past or they're good friends. Um, I really love, oh, what is it called? I, I don't remember the name of the song. Oh, I have the tune in my head, but I don't remember the title of the song. Oh, shit. Okay, but Kindness, Something Like a War. The entire album is beautiful. I would describe it like as a mix of kind of alternative R&B influence kind of music, but not quite. Um, yeah. Angel's Pulse by Blood Orange, also great album. Bioluminescence by Teen Days. It's more of like a ambient kind of ethereal sound. Charlie by Charlie XCX. A great pop album. Uh amazing collabs on it i love the one that has um christine and the queens that was a pretty big song uh, over the summer uh snow allegra's album oh the feels again lucid by ravina um she's definitely blown up this year or the past year i mean uh reader as detective by the generationals they're kind of in, uh, in a group that I've been listening to since high school, like here and there, and they kind of make these fun indie rock pop, pop rock type of music. 
uh, Emerald Classics by Swim Deep, Dream Girl by Anna of the North, uh, Cry by Cigarettes After Sex, and yes, I do feel like um, all the songs kind of sound the same, but it works, it's cohesive, so if you're looking for a sonic cohesion in an album, go listen to Cigarettes After Sex and you can listen to their entire discography on repeat and it will sound like one continuous beautiful song. Because sometimes you just need that. Sometimes you want that kind of monotony in the background. And I don't mean that to offend them or anything, but yeah. Sometimes you're just in a mood to cry and you can listen to Cigarettes After Sex. Um, Taurus released two albums this year. Quite a prolific year for him. Uh, Wild came out, I think, in October. And then Every Day came out in February. Uh, it's hard to say which one is my, which one is better, in my personal opinion. I think that they both are great um i don't know you just have to go listen to it if you listen to it let me know do you like wild or do you like every day better i i don't know if i can really compare them um i also have ylang ylang by fkj he's a super talented multi-instrumentalist um he's kind of if you're into say tom mish or masego or um who else uh yeah if you're into those type of names i think you'll be into fkj uh i've also been into dawn chorus by jacques green he's i think from montreal or something i've been very into um that type of electronic music uh there's another artist from montreal named cree it's like lowercase c capital r but lowercase i and I've been really into his song Friends in Secret. Um, also, Amtrak has been a big artist for me in 2019. Madness to Mayhem, uh, Formal Disco, Informal Disco, anything kind of disco influence I've been kind of into. And I hope to dive into more of that in 2020. And oh, what else was there that I really love? Um, Darkest Hour or Darkest Sound? Darkest Sound by Amtrak, also a bop. Um, and of course, I talked about Bubba by Kei earlier. If you haven't heard 99.9%, you should probably start on that first because that one's really good and was uh, what introduced me to his music. He also makes great remixes. Um, I love his remix of Janet Jackson's If. I feel like there's someone walking outside. And I'm, okay, I'm recording this in my room and it's on the ground floor and there's someone walking outside and I don't want them to hear me record this podcast because that's kind of awkward um but if they want to listen to some good music I guess they can just eavesdrop on what I'm saying um and then I also have Sweet Insomnia by Gallant 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 I think it's Gallant um not gonna lie I feel like I prefer his first album more than this one but maybe it's just because this one needs to grow on me because a lot of times that's the case for albums and artists it just takes me a while to digest their music and for me to really realize how much I love their entire discography so that's basically all of the albums of 2019 that I've been listening to and have loved I'm so excited for 2020 new music from some of my favorite artists um, I think 1975 is gonna release their new album uh, notes on a conditional form. Tame and Paula is definitely releasing a new album. Hopefully, Lord's gonna release a new album. I 
heard that she had to delay it because her dog died, which is, you know, really sad. So obviously she needs some time to recalibrate after that. Um, Haim also has a new album, Bombay Bicycle Club, came back after a five-year hiatus and is going to give us a new album. I love their song, um, Eat, Sleep, Wake, Nothing But You. That one was on repeat a lot in 2019. Uh, Coin is also coming up with a new album, Dreamland. I was never really into their music before, but after re- uh, listening to their singles for this upcoming album, specifically Let It All Out, uh, I realized that this is a band I need to be listening to more of. So I'm excited for their album. And Future Nostalgia by Dua Lipa, I think, would be a fun album, a lighthearted one. So... I think that's it. I've recorded the longest solo episode ever, talking about all my favorites here from 2019. I'm excited for 2020. We will see what that brings. And I will catch you guys in the next episode. Bye!